Well, I don't know about you. But I didn't come this far just to come this far. There's more. It's not over. I didn't come this far just to come this far. I want you to remember, you can't usher in what's new by clinging to the old. I don't know what's old in your life that God wants to call to account. He's already begun to show me some things. So, Father, we just ask you to lead us where we don't know. Show us things that we're hiding and think you don't see. But let us see them from your eyes. Search our hearts. Be a light to our path. Reveal things to us that conform us to the image of your Son. We want more of you. And so we ask you to reveal more of you to us even if it consumes what we think we know. Give us fresh revelation of you. And we bless you for what you're going to do and for what you are doing. And we thank you for it in advance and give you all of the credit and all of the glory all of the praise and all of the honor, all of the recognition to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I take your Bible and turn to Galatians. I remind you, Galatians was the first book that Paul wrote. It's actually the first book written in the New Testament. And it wasn't written to a church. It was written to a group of churches, the churches in the region of Galatia. And he wrote this letter after having been to these churches. And he went to these churches, and when he got there, he preached one thing, Jesus. The cross of Jesus, and that salvation and righteousness comes through Jesus And Jesus alone. And you can understand why cultures and people who had been embedded in the Mosaic law for hundreds of years would have a reaction to that. They hated that message. And when you hate a message, it's much easier to try to destroy the messenger than it is to be honest and look at the message. And that's what they did. But their motive wasn't pure. Their motive in challenging Paul wasn't out of this deep love they have for the Torah. 
or this deep passion that they have for the Old Testament. Acts 13 tells us that their motive was they saw the crowds that were gathering around Paul and they became jealous. And they began to challenge him because he was drawing bigger crowds than they were. And that's what set it off. And as Paul had been to the churches in Galatia, certain Jews would go and follow along behind him. And they would try to mislead the people that Paul had just left. Paul came preaching the message of Christ and grace and salvation through faith. The Jews came along behind him and says, that's not right. We're going to take part of it. I mean, Jesus is okay, but you also need to be circumcised and you also need to keep the law of Moses. And so Paul hears of this and he writes Galatians, clarifying what his message was and challenging what their message was. And he used eight different allegories we find in Galatians and dealt with it just systematically, one after another. Bam, bam, bam. Here's why this. Bam. Here's why grace. Bam. Here's why grace. Bam. Here's why it's not law. Bam. On and on. And this is the eighth one that we're going to deal with today. Okay? And it starts in chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under law, Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Now, if if we're going to understand what he's talking about here, you have to understand what happened with Abraham. He's the catalyst that set all this off, okay? The Jews always were priding themselves in, we're sons of Abraham, we're sons of Abraham. And so Paul addresses that voice here, you'll see. But it's important to understand the backstory of what he's talking about with these two women. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we find the first encounter Paul, uh, Abraham has with God. Now listen, Abraham was a pagan. He was a Gentile. He was lost. He was a, he was a wicked man. He was just part of the culture. He was part of what it was. And the mere fact that God goes to him, picks him, and makes a promise to him is the first expression of grace Abraham ever experienced. Up until this time, everything he knew was about worshiping gods through sacrifices and and adhering to rules and regulations and doing it all right. Not Jehovah God, but pagan gods. And God snatches Abraham out of the middle of that. Pure grace. Abraham didn't do anything to warrant it. He didn't do anything to merit it. He was just going along about his business. And God says, Abraham, chapter 12, verse 1. He said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth will be blessed. You can see why the Jew would want to identify with Abraham. Man, look at all this good stuff God said to Abraham. I want in on that. I'm a son of Abraham. And he goes on. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haram. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all the possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham was 75 years old. Sarai was 65 years old. And God says, Joni talked about not understanding. God comes to Abraham and says, pack up everything you own and go somewhere that you don't know where you're going. I wonder how many would sign up for that trip. I'm not sure I want to do that. God, I want to need a little, I need a little, I need a little clarity here. God says, no clarity, just an issue of whether you're going to obey me or not. And he says, pack up everything and leave and he goes into Canaan. This is the first expression of the promise that God gave Abraham. He was 75, she was 65. And then if you look in Genesis chapter 15, the promise is clarified. It begins in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In Abraham's mind, he's already thinking, all right, I'm 75, I'm probably a little older when this happens, and you know, I got no kids, I have no son, and so it was not unusual for a man who didn't have a son to leave everything he had to the son of his head servant. And so that's what Abraham's saying. You know, I got no son here, but my head servant here has got a son, and how about we just leave it to him? And uh, God said, this man will not be your heir, verse 4, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and showed him... took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's how grace is received. That's how righteousness is received. You believe God what God says, and it's counted to you as righteousness. It's not believe God and do this. It's not believe God and perform this. It is believe what God says, and he declares me righteous. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. 
He said, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. He cut these animals, and you, you, there's, we'll go into this sometimes. It's a picture of covenant because when a covenant would made was would be made with someone, Michael, come up here. When a covenant would be made with someone, if I want to make a covenant with Michael, we would stand face to face like this, and he represents everything that he has and everything that he is. And I would walk around him. Come back over here. Walk around my expression and come back here. And he would do the same thing. He would walk around me. He would walk between them, and then he would walk back. And if you've seen the symbol of infinity, that's where it comes from. It's a covenant. We've just made a covenant. Everything I have is his. Everything he has is mine. Thank you. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, everything you've got is mine, and everything I've got is yours. We are in covenant with one another. Isn't that cool? You have the whole bunch of that about covenant that's just awesome. All right, so God comes and clarifies it. Now in Genesis 16, Abram is not longer 75, he's 85. Sarah is no longer 65, she's 75. Now we've been waiting 10 years on God to do this promise. Time is running out, God. I'm old, you're old, we're not sure this thing is going to happen. So as is typically our response in the flesh, Sarah goes to Abraham, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1. Sarai, Abram's wife, had born no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He didn't just listen to it. He did what she said, okay? So he goes into Hagar. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband as his wife. She went into Hagar. She conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Listen, be assured, anything created of the flesh will always come back to be hated by you. Because when it's created of the flesh, you got to keep it up. And it's going to be burdensome, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to have problems. And that's exactly what happened here. Took it upon herself. Now, in chapter 17, we find the promise didn't nullify what God said, we find the promise being fulfilled. Verse 1 in chapter 17. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. That makes Sarah how old? 89. I mean, time is not run out. The hourglass is broke. I mean, it just ain't nothing there, God. Imagine being 89 and God coming to you. 
I can't imagine being 99 and living with a baby. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face. God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, Abraham. For I have made you a father of, how'd you like my trans, my verbalization there? That, that's probably not right, but it sounds good, doesn't it? You know, I roll my R's, you know. Okay, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. And he goes on and he talks about all the things. Then we find in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and said, what? Abraham fell on his face and laughed, said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Now, he's 99, okay? He's saying, let's see, do the math here. That's, you know, nine months. Anyway, I'm going to be 100 when this gets here. And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Let's take what we've already done here. And God says, no, you don't understand. I don't get in on anything. If I don't start it, I don't do it. You don't come up with something and then get me to bless it. If I didn't initiate, I don't want any part of it. And you initiated Ishmael. I don't want any of that. No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants. All right? Now, they still had a little trouble with that. So God sends these three guys in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, verse 9. And he says, uh, let's see if I've got where I'm at. Here. Yeah, Genesis chapter verse 9. There we go. Then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? These three men come to him with a word from the Lord. Where is Sarah, your wife? She's there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So he's he's confirming what God's already said. And he says, and Sarah was listening at the tent, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age. That is an understatement. Sarah was past childbearing. That's an understatement. After Sarah fainted, she laughed. No, it doesn't say that, but I, you know, I mean, you're 99 years old, and God says, 89 years old, God says, you're going to have a baby. I mean, 
put a little humanity in here, okay? I mean, going, what? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will turn to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I'd not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh. Now, chapter 21, the promise completed. Genesis chapter 21. And the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of both which, of which God had spoken to him. So Abram called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old, which made Sarah 90. She gave birth at 90. No, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now look in, chapter, in verse 15 of that chapter. It says, when the water in the skin was used, she left the boy under the musses. Oh, that ain't what I'm looking for. Where did I get that at? Okay. Anyway, the promise is completed. She got the baby. All right. That's the backstory from Genesis, I mean, from Galatians chapter 4. Let's read it again. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? It is written. Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar. That was the one that he had by his own doing, okay, by his self-effort. And one by the free woman. That's the son that came by the promise. That's the son that came because God told him, you're going to have a son, But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, indicating this is on you, Abraham. You did this yourself. This was your flesh involved in this. And the son by the free man, woman, was born through the promise. Here's one that was born without your flesh. Didn't even need you. And look what God has done. Now he says, this is allegorically speaking. Now, Let me tell you what an allegory is. This word allegorically is made up of two Greek words, alos, which means another, and agora, which means to speak. Here's what he says. It means there is a different meaning from what is literally expressed. Okay? There's the literal. We read the literal. This literally happened. But there's an allegory here. 
The, the literal expression is the elementary meaning. Anybody can read that and say, yeah, see, Sarah did that. And folks, listen, so much of our Bible study is on the elementary level. We know the facts. Yeah, Abraham did that. But he says, by allegorically speaking, there is a deeper meaning. There is a spiritual meaning behind this. That's where the life of God resides. It doesn't take a spiritual person to read the Bible. And reading the Bible will not automatically make you spiritual because there is a deeper meaning to it that is revealed by the Spirit of God. And he says this story of the bondwoman and the free woman is an allegory. Yes, there's the natural, but there is a spiritual understanding behind that that I want you to see. Let me get you to show you the players here in this play. These women represent two covenants. Hagar equals Ishmael, which equals the old covenant, which equals Jerusalem on the earth. He refers to that. We're going to see that in a minute. Hagar equals Ishmael equals the old covenant, which equals the literal Israel on the earth, and the literal Jerusalem, all right? But then you have Sarah. Sarah equals Israel, which equals the new covenant, which equals Jerusalem that is above. He talks about that here. We're going to see it in a minute. But I want you to get that picture. Sarah, Israel, new covenant, Jerusalem. Hagar is an expression of man trying in human effort to bring about what God promises by his spirit. Hagar is an expression of human effort trying to bring about what God promised by his spirit. By God's spirit, he promised Abraham would have a son. Ishmael was human's expression of doing it themselves. Helping God fulfill his promise. Okay? And Paul calls that the flesh. All right? Now, Sarah represents believing what God says, believing what God promises, and then living by the Spirit in cooperation with God while he does what he said he was going to do. Can you see the distinction? One is here, you get this promise. Yeah, I'm going to have a son. Okay, that means I've got to go over here and do this to make that happen. That's the flesh. God didn't want any part of that. Sarah says, okay, I have a promise. What do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to walk? By your spirit in order for you to fulfill your promise in me. See the distinction? See the difference? You see, the enemy always offers a plan to fulfill what God promises by a human effort. Okay, God says he wants you to be a Christian. He wants you to be a successful Christian. He wants you to be an expression of Christ. The enemy has a suggestion 
Dot all your I's, cross all your T's, do everything right, say it the way you're supposed to say it, repeat this after me, perform all of this stuff. That's his suggestion. God says, I want you to be a child of God. I want you to be an expression of me, and here's what I want you to do. Listen for my voice, obey what I tell you to do, and I will do it in you. It won't be you doing it. Okay? That's cool. Moses got a promise from God. We're going to, I'm going to deliver, Moses, I've heard the cry of these people under the Egyptians, and I'm going to deliver them. And Moses going, you bet you, bring them on. He sees an Egyptian and an Israeli fighting. He kills the Egyptian. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to kill these suckers. What, one at a time? Is that how you're going to get free? And he buried him. And you can always be sure that the winds of time will always uncover the dead Egyptians of the flesh. Somebody called it on it. What are you going to do, Abraham? Kill me too? Like you killed that other guy? And he spent years shepherding sheep for his father-in-law till God could work through his heart, that he could come to the place that he would say, it's all you, God. You gave me that promise. There's nothing in the natural. I don't know how you're going to do it. We're oppressed, and we can't fight them but you said you were going to do it, and I'm going to trust you. Show me how to walk in obedience to you so that you can fulfill your promise through me on the earth. That's cool. I love that stuff. All right. Uh, Satan goes to Jesus. I know you're supposed to have all these kingdoms, but you know there's a cross at the end of your way. I'm going to give you all these kingdoms, and you don't have to go to the cross. All you have to do is bow down to me. What's he doing? He's trying to get the Jesus to fulfill the promise of God by his own effort. Just bow down to me. That's all you got to do. There's always a suggestion. There's always a way. Hagar is attempts at being right with God. Hebrews, let me just read this to you over in Hebrews. Chapter 8, it says, uh, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. If that first covenant that God gave, the covenant of the law, was going to do it, you wouldn't have needed Jesus to come. But you needed Jesus to come because it couldn't do it. Now, Whenever you breed horses, okay, I'll give you a horticulture lesson here. Whenever you breed horses, the primary theory about breeding race horses or breeding thoroughbreds or breeding any kind of competitive horse, the underlying understanding is the mare don't matter. It's all on the stud. It's all on the male. His bloodline, his genetics, his DNA, his heritage, everything is on him. It doesn't matter which mare he inseminates. All that matters is it's the same, the right stud to get that because all she's doing is just carrying his kid. All right? God 
comes along, Paul comes along and he's, and to these people that are saying, Abraham is my father. Abraham is my father. Abraham is my father. Paul basically says to them, who's your mother? Who's your mother? Because your mother matters. Is your mother Hagar or is your mother Sarah? Is your mother the expression that we do, 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 do to be right with God, or is your expression with the one that says, God's already done it, I'm just to receive it and walk in what he has? This was extremely offensive to the Jew for them to identify Jews with Hagar. He was a Gentile. And look what he says in, in chapter 4. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. He says, Right now, Jerusalem that exists here that you're a part of is the result of living after Hagar that says righteousness comes by keeping the law. And you know what? You are in bondage because of that. Get this, folks. Anything born of the law becomes a slave to the law. And they were slaves to the law. Not only that, they were slaves to Rome. Okay, so he's making this distinction. This was offensive to the Jews. What do you mean Jerusalem comes after Hagar? We're sons of Abraham. Right, who's your mother? Who's your mother? Your mother matters. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above She is free. She is our mother, Paul says. We're after Sarah. We're not after Hagar. We're not after that expression that says you have to keep the law in order to be right with God. We're after Sarah that says God has made that promise. I am to believe it, receive it, and walk in obedience to his voice as he fulfills it through me. It's not on me. Jerusalem above is free. That's us. She is our mother. We are of the new covenant who receives God's promises, believes God's promise, and walks in the spirit and cooperate with cooperation with him to see it fulfilled, not by what we can accomplish. For it is written, rejoice, barren woman, who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at this time, who, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. And that's exactly what was happening. The people that were after Hagar, these Jews that were challenging grace, were persecuting Paul and the church who embraced what Sarah was expressing.
Okay? God will finish what he starts. Has God started something in you? By that, I mean, are you his child? Then let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about your Christian life. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. He will do what he promised. You will be an expression of him, but it is not contingent on how well you perform. It is contingent only on me receiving his promise Walking by his voice, walking by his spirit, and in doing that, I am cooperating with him as he accomplishes in me what he wants to accomplish. It's not me working on myself. It's me receiving what he has done. It's true of my salvation. It's true of my Christianity. It's true of any promise God has ever given you. God didn't give you a promise and then say, now work it out. God gave you a promise. Maybe it was a promise of restoration. Oh, Beverly, golly. Promise of restoration. She nailed it. Wasn't because of me. Wasn't because of me. But she received what God said. And she looked in her life to say, how can I cooperate with your spirit for you to accomplish the promise that you gave me about her? It doesn't, it's not just our salvation. It's any promise God gives us. It may be a promise of restoration for our children. It may the, be the promise of a husband or the promise of a wife. Well, you're not going to the right places to get a husband. That's why you don't have a husband. Yeah, let me know how that works for you. You go to all the places they say you got to go to get a husband. You know where Eve was? You know where Adam was when God brought him his wife? He was asleep in the will of God. He was cooperating with God. Now, he tried He looked at everything he named and said, is this going to work? Is this going to do it? Is this going to fill the hole in my heart? Is this going to give me companionship? And none of it would do it. And God said, go to sleep, Adam, and I'll bring her to you. You don't have to go find them. You don't have to make all the right spots. What you have to do is hear the voice of God and obey him wherever he says go, doing whatever he says do, and he will accomplish it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us something that's very interesting. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, somebody has rearranged my Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, 
in verse 26. Listen to this. That ain't it. Oh, here we go. 36. I'm sorry. 36. I wrote it down. For you have need. Let me back up. Do not throw away your confidence. Confident in what? Confident that the Father is going to do what he said he would do. Don't throw away your confidence. We all have ebbs and flows of confidence. Catch me on a good day, God's good. He's going to do it. He's going to reveal it. Catch me on a bad day, this sucks. Nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. He says, we do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Confidence, endurance. How old was she when God gave the promise to Abraham? She was 65. Found out she's going to have a child, she's 85. Found out she was really going to have a child, she was 95. Or 90, 89. And then had a child, she was 90. You have need of endurance. God is faithful to do what he said he would do. Then he goes on in Galatians chapter 6, and he gives us the real reason for these accusers. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. this, This change in perspective didn't come from God. It came from somewhere else. A little leaven leavens the whole lump lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves, wish they'd be circumcised. Now look in in verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply because they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You want to know why these guys were following him around? His message offended the Jews. You embrace his message you're going to be an offense to the Jews. Paul became a derision to the Jews. He became a source of persecution. You identify with Paul's message, you're going to be persecuted. Their motive was, I don't want to be persecuted. So I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to compromise. We're going to do a little Jesus and a little law. And Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole dough the whole lump. It doesn't take but just like a quarter of an ounce of yeast to cause an entire bowl of flour to rise. It affects the whole thing. It doesn't take but just a little bit of yeast. And it doesn't take just a little bit of law 
to completely nullify grace in our life. There is no grace hybrid. There is no mix of grace and law. It's either grace or it's law. And we hear people all the day, yeah, that grace stuff is okay, but don't get too crazy about it. No, if you're not crazy about it, you hadn't caught it yet. It's grace. There's no mix. There's no, well, you know, I'm going I'm to live by grace, but I'm gonna, I got to do this, got to do that, or else God's not going to like me. Grace and law cannot exist together. Well, what am I going to do with this law? Well, you're going to do what God told Abraham, chapter 4, verse 30. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman will not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, children, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. What do you do with it? You don't try to make friends with it. And you don't worry about who you're going to offend when you cast it out. You'll be labeled as a Jesus freak. Good. Good. You'll be labeled as a fanatic. Good. You'll be labeled as somebody who is walking in license. Good. Because I'm not sure we're really walking in grace until we're accused of living by license. Because it's such a drastic, radical perspective. You mean I don't have to do anything to get God to do something? What I have to do is receive what he says, walk in his spirit, cooperate with him as he fulfills his promise through my life. Walk in endurance. That's where our confidence comes from. Does this make any more sense today? All right, any, what stuck with you? We'll just take a couple of minutes. What, you knew this was coming, so it's not like I just sprung it on you at the last, okay? What, what phrase or word or verse stuck out to you in this? Anything? Thank you, buddy. it's nothing profound but um it just hit me that um when you were saying that like if we if we choose not to obey the lord that automatically we're back under the law that's right there's no in between yeah that's right no compromise anyone else Uh, alex I feel like the Lord's really been speaking to me um, almost about like the other people, right? Like the people we pray about, the people that I want to see them experience Jubilee. I felt for the longest time that it was something that we had to do. We had to reach out. We had to. And I feel like the Lord, he simply asked me a question one day on my way to work. He said, what if you treated them as if they were free? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what do you mean by that? Like, they're not. They're still in captivity and stuff like that. And Jesus was like, it doesn't matter what you see, but if you treated them as if they were already free. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, and I, and I sat back and thought about it, and I feel like that's the way that the Lord 
really called my name. Mm-hmm. He's like, come over here and instantly you follow me and you, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. And I was just like, just thrown for a loop. Because it's, it's, I was thinking I had to do something. I had to, and it's just like, whether they, re, they know it or not, they're free. Jesus already paid it. Good. That's good. See, I don't want to give you the impression that walking by grace is passive. It's more active than you can imagine. Because you're looking for the voice of God. And I'm doing what I'm doing because I hear God, not for an end result. See, we think we'll be this catalyst. If I do this, then they will do this. How's that work for you? How many people have said, oh, you did that. I did that. I now want to do this. Doesn't work. It becomes manipulation. But it is active. It's actively seeking the Father to listen to what he wants me to do and then doing what he wants me to do, and the outcome is up to him. I used to think I had to get every single person. Listen, I'm not lying when I tell you this. I, had, I used to believe that every person I met, I had to get them to pray, say a sinner's prayer. I mean, literally. I mean, I'd nail them anywhere, everywhere, and I'd press them till they prayed that prayer. And they did it to get me off their back. They meet God. But when I understood that my job is to hear him and cooperate with him, and he will do it through me. My part is to seek him and hear what he says. Um, the goodness of God brings man to repentance. That's right. So jubilee is the goodness of God. That brings man to repentance. So you, you know, treat them like jubilee is in their life. And uh, God will bring repentance to him. Let me um, comment on that just one second. Yeah. Okay. Remember he said here that we are children of the new covenant. Okay. We're children of the new covenant. What is the fullness of the new covenant? If you could say it in just one sentence, what's the fullness of the new covenant? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in Corinthians, when it says he has made us adequate for the new covenant, That means he's made us adequate to love God and people the way God wants us to love them. I'm adequate. I can do that in his grace and by his spirit. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, This is just kind of small, but um, the thing that stuck out with me is that God will finish what he started. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that verse in Philippians 1.6, and it says, he says, that is my confidence. That is my confidence. My confidence right. isn't in anything I can do. It's in the fact that I know he's going to finish what he started. Right. And listen, if your confidence is in you hearing God, dump that. Because you know that ain't working very well. Change your confidence. My confidence is in that God will speak. He will speak. He's speaking. He's speaking to us day in and day out. And we're ignoring it. i promise you that's the case because it's so small it's so gentle it's so tender it's so free of guilt and condemnation and we are so used to being controlled by guilt and condemnation we don't know how to live without it and so God says something simple like you don't want to do that I go what I do and I'm gonna it wasn't complicated 
I just heard his voice. I ignored it because I did what I wanted to do. There was no If he just said, if you do that, you're going to hell, it might have got our attention. But we, we don't, grace doesn't work that way. Okay? All right, anyone else? Chuck. Oh. Well, anyway, I was just going to say, you, <clears throat> when you brought out the, <clears throat> the enemy is always trying to circumvent the plan of God. And uh, you made that pretty clear. But the other thing I wanted to say, thank you for straightening out what I was trying to say last week. <laughs> you did good last week. Now, let me tell you this. You might want to do this. That Jerusalem that's above, you want to know what that is? Look in Revelations. Okay? That'll answer your question. If you'll look at it, it might surprise you. What is the Jerusalem that's above? He talked about the Jerusalem is here. What's the Jerusalem that's above? He says, that's what we're part of. Check that out. See what it says in Revelations. The thing that stuck out with me was piggy tail with what, I want to piggyback with what you said, that he finished what he started. But the thing that stuck out with me is he'll show me what he's starting. That's right. Like I don't have to initiate, but he'll show me what he's starting. And that's where my resting place needs to be. That's good. See, we look at this, we do exactly what Sarah I did. We look at the circumstance, we use our mind to reason, and we draw a conclusion. And then we act on our conclusions instead of acting on the voice of God and what he said. Okay, there were two, like, big things that stuck out to me most within, like, like, the last few months, like, I've been processing, like, a lot of, like, anger and, like, just from life and, like, situations. And, like, I've kind of just, like, shoved it in the back and, like, we'll deal with that later. And, but like the last few weeks, God's been really like being like, well, you've got to deal with this because I've got a lot for you coming that like, you've got to have it processed to fix through. And, um, through what you were saying today, I was constantly reminded that like, God gave me all these promises. He's like, I'm going to heal that. And in the moment I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, we're going to put it away. We'll deal with it later. And, but he's back now and he's like. You threw it away. Like, you were so confident in me in that moment, but you're confident in me, confident in me that I'm not going to do it right then whenever I told you I could do it right there. And you wouldn't have had to deal with carrying it around with you all the yeah. time if you would have let me just take it away. Yeah. Let me have it. And then um, the second thing that really stuck out to me is that it's easier to destroy the messenger than the message. Yeah. Because that I feel like... Um, Like, a lot of the time, like, some, like, like, I'll hear a sermon of, like, something that, like, I really need to hear, and I'm like, but I don't want to hear it, and I'm like, I'm never going to listen to that pastor again, and, like, that's such a guilty thing of me, but, like, I don't want to hear it, and it, I, I blame, I blame the, I blame the vessel, and instead of looking at what's coming out of the, the, the vessel, or if, like, someone that I don't like is, like, preaching a message that morning. I'm not going to yeah. receive what just, they have to say just because yeah. of what the vessel looks like. Yeah, we've all done that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you one story, and I'm going to go. I have a friend. He, well, he's dead now. Had a friend. He was a, he was a preacher, and he was diagnosed with five diseases. Three of them were terminal, and about two of them, doctors couldn't even pronounce it. They'd never heard of it. Five diseases, three of them were terminal. They were completely untreatable. So he goes to the father, and he says, okay, 
In fact, before he found them all out, he went in the kitchen one day and he told his wife, he said, you need to kick out some life insurance because you're going to get sick. And he didn't realize it was him because he'd never been sick in a day of his life. Well, he ended up getting sick. Five diseases, three of them were terminal. Doctors had never heard of them. And he went to the father one day, and the father gave him a promise out of Psalms. And the promise was, you will see your children's children. He had four kids, and they were all very young. Okay? You will see your children's children. And he, he lived off of that. I mean, he literally lived off of that word from the father. There were times he was in the hospital, time he was sick, time they thought he was going to die. You know, I, my kids are still young. Well, his kids grew up. He didn't get any better, but they were able to treat it. He grew up. The oldest one got married and then had a baby. And somebody came to him and said, get ready. And he said, no. The promise was you will see your children's children. All of my children will have children before I die. And they did. He lived, and every one of his children had children, and then the Lord took him home. Endurance. Sticking with what God has said. How do I cooperate with you and you fulfilling your promise through me? Some of you feel like you got a destiny. God's got a destiny for me. Man, it's something great. Let me tell you something. You can try to accomplish that destiny, and it will be bondage, it will be a taskmaster to your life if you accomplish it. But if you will abide in the Father and listen to his voice and do what he says, he will fulfill that destiny to you, through you, and it will be all of the blessings that it was to Abraham. Okay? Next week, we're going to talk about being free. That's going to really be good. Father, thank you for your reality Thank you for showing us all that you've done through us, to us, for us, in us. Bless your name. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.